throughout this episode of Grief in Common, we talk about sensitive subjects, including road traffic accidents and suicide. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to uh, the second Grief in Common podcast by Winston's Wish. Um, we're going to be talking about individual experiences of grief, those things we have in common, those things that we don't have in common. My guest today is Maya. Uh, we're going to be talking specifically about grief and mental health. So there should be some good discussion. Hello, Maya. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. How are you doing? Very well, I'm very well. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on this podcast. You'll have to bear with me. It's my second episode hosting, so um, I'm just getting to grips with everything. I'll just give you a little introduction about myself, um, kind of why I'm here, and then it'd be great to hear your side. So, you know, my story is when I was 21, um, my mum was unfortunately hit by a car while she was out on her bicycle ride. It was, I suppose, a you know serious impact um, of the brain. And while she was kind of alive for a year and a half, um, we ended up withdrawing um, hydration and nutrition um, and she died at the family home. So I was 22 when she died. So I was, I'm probably, you know, one of the older ones you, you'll see in the um, Winston's Wish and on these podcasts. Um, but yeah, you, you want to tell me a little bit about your experience? Um, yeah, so mine, very different, but I guess similar in a way. Um, so when I was five, my dad took his own life. Um, he drove to France for reasons that I still don't know. I have in the back of my mind that my mum told me he always wanted to go to France, so maybe that was it. <laughs> but um, he drove there, and so yeah, it was... It was difficult that it happened in France. I think that complicated things a lot for my mum, especially in terms of getting him back to the UK and the police response and things like that. Um, But he he did leave a note, which I am very grateful for because I think quite a large number of suicides don't leave a note. It was quite a graphic one in the sense that he detailed the whole process, essentially, from when he got to France. Um, It's a very long note. It's probably like three pages long. Um, My mum showed me when I was kind of old enough to understand it a bit. Um, But he sort of made two attempts on his life before, but he kind of documented that, which was a strange experience to read. I think losing him at five has definitely shaped my grief in a very particular way I would say I've probably experienced more of the anxiety side because I lost him at a young age compared to probably what you've had losing someone when you were older in terms of the actual sadness and the memories and things like that yeah I'm, I'm really sorry to hear that um my thank you so much for sharing um you know one of the things that I kind of chatted about with Ghislaine was that Specifically, the timing of the bereavement really affected both how Ghislaine and I managed it. So, yeah, I can imagine at five, you know, that that's, that seems very young. Um, do you have any memories of your dad? Yeah, I do. It's definitely not loads. And they kind of just come to me as and when. Like, I probably if I was going to think of a specific memory with him, there's very few that I would be able to, like, just sit and kind of pick out of my brain. I think probably a lot of them are from what my mum's told me about him as well. Um, She's always been extremely open about the whole thing. And I mean, I was five and I'm 
nearly 24 now and she still talks about him all the time just little comments like you know she'll she'll be like your dad loved this song or this was your dad's favorite book kind of thing so I almost feel like I've learned more about him since he's died in a way and um Maya do you have any siblings I do yes I have a twin brother kind of it's had its pros and cons (laughs) going through something like that with a sibling the exact same age I'm from such a young age because I feel like we definitely went through lots of different phases and we've definitely always from the word go handled our grief completely differently. I was definitely more withdrawn at the beginning. I didn't, I wouldn't go to visit his grave or anything when my mum and my brother would. I wasn't really interested in talking about anything whereas he was much more open with his emotions. And then as we got older I feel like that gradually shifted and we used to be quite good at talking about that kind of thing with each other. Um, and I think as we got older, we sort of, I think we were just dancing around it more. We were both worried about upsetting the other one. And somewhere along the way, we sort of stopped speaking about it. And I would say that we don't anymore, which is odd because of what I said about my mum being so open with it all. In a way, I feel like whoever I'm talking to about it, I always feel uncomfortable. And I don't know why. <laughs> Yeah, I hope you're feeling, um, you know, comfortable here. But, um, you, you know, we talked about how you kind of handled grief. Before we go into that, what what have been some of the effects that you've had or that you've found um, that have come out of your bereavement? I think overwhelmingly, I would say probably in my relationships with people. Like I said before, it's not so much that I, like, miss him or anything like that or necessarily like feel sad about it a lot of the time. I just think that I would be a completely different person if it hadn't happened. And the person I am now, there's a lot of things that I'm not necessarily a fan of that I think are definitely to do with his death and how it happened. I think with suicide, because he essentially chose to do it, that's been something very difficult to deal with. And then has sort of had repercussions, sometimes without me even realising it. Like being a complete nerd at school, but to the to like a kind of obsessive sense, like just wanting to do really well at everything. Because I didn't feel like I was good enough. Because if I was good enough, then maybe he wouldn't have done what he did. So definitely that kind of sense. It's all the kind of like subconscious things that on the face of it, I might not be like, oh, well, that's because my dad took his own life. But then when I actually think about it, that's a lot to do with it. <laughs> I know the feeling sometimes, you know, you're, not, you're, you're talking kind of about the more you know, grander scheme things, but sometimes when I'm having a down day, I just think, man, why am I so down today? And then it's like, oh, yeah, of course. You can, you know, you can try and hypothesise it and, you know, point it to all these little things. But for me, I'm sure 99% of the time, it's just grief, just playing up. But, um, you know, you talked also about anxiety, um why why don't you tell me a little bit about that the bit I can remember most because that's the thing like losing somebody so young I know that it probably started a lot earlier than I can remember but I was too young to kind of know what it was and so the worst kind of part that sticks out to me is when I was about 15 um and I just kind of developed really bad it was mainly health anxiety which kind of doesn't make sense in a way because he didn't die from an illness per se um 
but I was just constantly convinced that I was lying and that there was something wrong with me and it was really just affecting my day-to-day life I would go to school but I would want to leave school but then I I would go to the nurse to be sent home but then I was so afraid of going in there and getting ill that I wouldn't even go in so it was just it was yeah it wasn't a great time and also just constantly worrying that things would happen to like my mum or my brother or other people around me if like I texted my mum and she didn't reply like in within a few minutes I would just start immediately jumping to the worst conclusions and panicking and if she went away definitely that was really bad as well so mainly stuff to do with that and it to me it seemed like it came out of nowhere but in reality it had probably been bubbling for years and was bound to overflow at some point did you ever experience that kind of thing like anxiety um you know it, for me no not really anxiety um it's interesting you talk about you know if your mum goes out and you don't get a reply you start um getting anxious about that and I, I definitely have that you know if um if I call someone and it goes straight to voicemail I always think the worst and that's yeah that's kind of a direct um consequence of you know the occasion in which I found out about my mum's accident you know we, my brother got a call and then he started calling my dad and my dad called me and my brother and we were all calling each other and couldn't get hold of mum it just went straight to voicemail so now you know whenever I call a number and it goes straight to voicemail it's just a little bit eerie but you know anxiety's not really been um an effect of mine mine was initially anger when you know when it first happened um you know, I, I went and lived abroad for a few months um, as part of my university. And I remember just being so, so angry. And I was I was going to the gym like four or five times a week and I was boxing. And that sort of, I, I love exercise, but that intense physical exertion, that was very new to me. And I think in hindsight, the reason I could go to the gym four or five times a week and all of this was because I was using my anger as like an energy source. And I've definitely yeah. found you know, as more time has passed since the bereavement, I've just got less angry and I've just not had the desire or the energy to do any of that tough physical exertion. But, you know, I, I do still get quite down from it sometimes. It's, it's become much less frequent. And again, shortly after the incident, two days a week, I was probably seriously down to the point where I, I couldn't do university work. And over time, it's just, it's got easier. Um, I think part of that is just time being a healer, but also understanding coping mechanisms a bit more understanding what works for me and what yeah. doesn't and yeah, yeah not anxiety but just a general sadness that comes and goes um still it's interesting that you mention anger actually because i that's something that i never really experienced and i think i mean it's a natural reaction to grief anyway but i think especially with suicide people are angry because i think obviously for me and my brother it came out of nowhere i don't know if my mum, it obviously was a shock to her, but in some ways she saw it coming. But regardless, it's a shock and you're angry at them for leaving you in whatever situation they've left you in. Like, my mum wouldn't have been a single mum for the last however many years if he hadn't left. But it's never really something that I've experienced and part of me was waiting for it to just hit one day, but it's just never really happened. But my brother was similar to you and that's sort of how his grief came out in the form of anger I don't know if you would have experienced this since you were university kind of age, but I feel like my school was pretty rubbish at dealing with it, <laughs> especially in terms of him, because they they couldn't see why he was acting that way. They just saw him acting that way and kind of just punished him, really. 
so yeah interesting that you mentioned that because it's a such a common reaction to grief I think yeah well yeah my domestic university here was very good in Sheffield they were very very good um when I was studying abroad not so good but yeah again it you know our conversation just reminds me of the conversation Glenn and I had it's the way in which you lose someone really affects how that grief then manifests itself so it's really interesting talking to you and you know losing your dad in such a different way um you know really I see the differences in how you and I feel and how we manage with things. You know, when you're feeling anxious now, is there anything that you do to kind of help address that? I think I've just got my, like, comfort things. So, like, it's lame, but Friends, the TV show, has just always been, like, a really huge source of comfort to me since I was old enough to watch it. And I don't know what it is about it. I think it's just because it partly is just so normal like it's just like a group of friends doing normal things that groups of friends would do and it just like kind of grounds me um because I've I've never been the kind of person that you know took up running or you know started ballroom dancing I don't know all this stuff I've probably had quite basic coping mechanisms but they work for me and I think as well forcing myself sometimes to get out of my comfort zone kind of weird compared to what I just said but can really help me if I'm having a day where I'm feeling really anxious and I've got something planned in the evening every bone in my body just wants to stay curled up in my room watching friends which sometimes is fine but I often find that if I do actually force myself out and I'm around other people that's quite calming in itself and that often I'm worse if I just sit in and on my own. So I think probably a mix of just being a hermit and watching Netflix and forcing myself out and being around people and around my friends because it, it just acts as a distraction and it takes my mind off it. And that's especially with the health anxiety, actually, because a lot of the time I don't get it nearly as much as I used to, but it will be like little pains that I notice in my body and I'll just start focusing on it and then I'll blow it up and I'm like, well, this has got to be serious. I'm obviously dying. I can't think of anything else. And then as soon as I go to the pub with my friends or something, I realise that I've not thought about it for two hours and it's obviously not been hurting and it was all in my head. And that's comforting in itself. It's really interesting to hear you say that and I think, you know, whether that's, I know friends, oh, I love friends to be fair, but they, they have that... Um, there's that coffee shop, Central Perk, and it's all of them sitting together in that coffee shop. And whether, you know, you're watching them sitting together in that coffee shop or you yourself are sat in the pub with all of your friends, it's just that, I suppose, escape from reality, isn't it? You know, you talked about being distracted and it's interesting you use the word distracted because for me, I think distraction is good, but equally, when I'm distracted, I, I sometimes find I'm not thinking about it, which is nice and it's, it's, it's respite for me, but sometimes I do need to actually engage with it you know it might not be pleasant but I know by going out for a run and, and thinking about mum it might be uncomfortable for a little while but actually it's just Im important for me to do that so you know you talked about um, not wanting to go out and see your friends but you enjoy doing it you know when you do go and I don't know if that's all the time maybe sometimes you go out and you think I'm just going to go home, which I definitely do have. And, I, I, you know, I'm not the voice of authority here and I'd never want to prescribe to anyone, um, go out and do the things you don't want to do. But I think it's important to push yourself 
beyond these comfort zones because you know not just that they make us grow in general I think but it's important because you know if you are sat there feeling like you don't want to do anything that can sometimes be a bit of a, a cycle and sometimes you need to break that and go out and do the things you don't want to do and you might feel better for it and you might not but at the end of the day you found out you know what coping mechanisms work and what don't for me seeing my friends is a distraction because personally I've never really spoken or opened up to my friends much about what's happened for the same reasons really that I was talking about earlier I just feel uncomfortable about it and feel like I'm making them uncomfortable so you know everybody close to me knows about it and knows what happened but I don't necessarily if I'm feeling bad or anxious about it I don't talk to them about it they're like my distraction but I don't know how it is for you and if your situation is different whether seeing your friends they're like a source of comfort for you and that you feel like you can talk to them about it I don't know yeah what your experience has been so I I found um on average my male friends aren't so good about you know talking about these things you know there are exceptions of course but as a whole I wouldn't want to go to the pub with all my guys and like talk about it but I find that I very much lead the conversation um which I think is you know the case with you know most interactions when you're talking about grief I think you you almost set the rules and people kind of follow that so you know I find that if you're quite shy about talking about it the other person won't really touch on it whereas if you're quite open they will tend to be quite open not always um but I think I probably talked about it less than I used to, but I think because for me talking about it was a coping mechanism, whereas I don't need that coping mechanism so much now. Um, but I found myself talking about it less, but that doesn't worry me. I think it's just, you know, the kind of natural yeah. progression of these things. Yeah, I mean, people always used to say to me at the, at the start, you know, like it never really gets easier. You just kind of learn to live with it. But I do you think it gets easier it definitely gets easier it makes me feel bad sometimes but I can go days weeks and that's probably because I lost my dad when I was so much younger without really thinking about it it doesn't you know affect my life constantly all the time anymore so if anyone's listening to this thinking that they just can't see a point where they'll ever feel normal again it does happen at some point I suppose uh how your dad died and my mum died you know both you know impact from vehicles essentially um I know that you know a lot of other causes and you know underneath that but um I sometimes find when I tell people that um I I don't like to shy away from it you know I just say you know unfortunately hit by a car while she was out on a bicycle ride um and I sometimes see people wincing at that you know when people ask and I think they're almost expecting you to say um you know, give a different answer, something they can probably palette or swallow a little bit more. And I've had a lot of people initially, you know, when when it's kind of come out, you know, my mum's dead, they say, um, oh, is it natural causes? I sometimes think, what do you mean by natural causes? What? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what you're asking and what you're expecting me to say to that. You know, impact from the car, is that natural? Is it any more natural than, you know, old age or you know, I think it's very interesting that sort of terminology around it. So, when people say natural causes, when it's somebody our age that they that has just said that they've lost a parent, I don't know apart from incredibly old age how natural any kind of death that age could be. You know, I don't know. Surely they know that when they're asking that kind of question. But I mean, 
we we have quite different responses I think in that way because I would love to be more like you and just come out with it as it is and that's definitely how the approach that my mum took eventually because she just got fed up with people saying to her like oh I'm sorry to hear that you know Jamie passed away and she was eventually like well he didn't pass away it was you know a lot more horrific and violent than that and I'm just going to say it if you're going to ask me but I'm definitely more I don't know I guess appeasing because the second somebody asks me oh you know about just about my parents for example and they assume parents often I don't correct them if I don't think it's going to come up again I'll just let them think that I've got two parents because I'm like well what harm is it going to do if I you know if I start going into it it's just going to make everybody uncomfortable and I don't want to do that and if it does come up and I have to answer I just hate it immediately um I usually just say I don't have a dad and hope that they leave it there but obviously you sometimes I had a job interview once actually probably when I was about 14 it was like my first ever job in a pub literally washing dishes and I had like an hour and a half interview with the guy there and he was like asking loads of questions about my dad he was like because he asked me the same thing and I said yeah I don't have a dad and he was like oh well, why is that are your, are your parents divorced and I was like well no like he died and then he was like well how did he die if you don't mind me asking and I was like well I, I kind of have to say now don't I you've, you've kind of forced it out of me but um I just find it so uncomfortable and I really wish I didn't because I feel like I'm playing into the stigma that is around suicide by being like that but I just hate the wincing that you've mentioned and the silence afterwards because people don't know what to say and it's just horrible. <laughs> I don't think you know you're feeding into it as such or anything like that I think you know coming on here and talking about it is you know I really appreciate that and it, I imagine it is very tough to talk about it like like you were saying it's a very different process of death and bereavement to someone who you know didn't die by suicide so um no it must be you know very difficult to talk about and it, it's funny when people are persistent with those sorts of questions and um yeah it, it happens quite a lot to be honest but yeah talk you know kind of talking about language as well the language around suicide you know I understand is also that there's a lot going on there how do you normally phrase it I think I'm quite bad because I do tend to say committed suicide and I know that that's now not the way that you're supposed to refer to it and I completely understand why that is but I feel like from the age of five that's how I've been referring to it and it's hard to like get out of that and um I mean take your own life is obviously the one that I'm trying to adopt now but yeah that's that tends to be the one that I've gone for definitely not passed away because I mean it just doesn't make any sense at all but yeah I would say that one and every time I say it I'm like I shouldn't have said that but it's hard to get out of the habit. <laughs> like you said it happened when you were very young and I think you should never feel bad or guilty for how you choose to describe your own experience you know that's that's your experience it's your grief how I feel how you want to talk about it to other people that's your decision and I think you can own your own grief you can own your own bereavement now, however you want to say it to people whatever way that makes you feel comfortable you know I think that's the way to do it and I think for me just being upfront about it and saying this is what happened 
And and I think part of that is also to get people to stop talking about it. People are so, you know, quite frequently taken aback by it that they don't care on talking about it, which I always appreciate. So, yeah. I mean, what do you tend to go for in terms of how you kind of word it? Um, I say it was, there's a, there's a few things I say, traffic incident, you know, to the point I just say, you know, she was hit by a car and unfortunately, um, serious trauma, serious brain trauma. I say, you know, she was then at home, sorry, she was then in, a, you know, several different hospitals. She came home for the withdrawal of hydration and nutrition, which I say, because it's not ending life support in the way that people think where you switch off a machine and that's that. It was very much we're going to stop feeding, stop um, providing hydration. Um, and I also don't like to say passed away because for me, I think, and again, it's completely personal and however people choose to say it, that's fine. I, but for me, I think it detracts from what happened. You know, it, you know, it was very tragic and I, I don't want to dance around the subject and say passed away because I think that's covering it up. And I think she deserves to have, have it told how you know it really happened. So Maya, we talked a lot about um, the kind of the language uh, that we use when we talk about grief and bereavement. Um, but, you know, there's, there's also the kind of the period before the grief and the bereavement, you know, before that person's actually died. And there's definitely kind of, yeah, words that people use. And when my mum was in hospital, people were, you know, kind of talking about um, fighting. You know, they were saying, oh, she, you know, she's strong. She can fight this. She can, she can get through this. She's a fighter. You know, if anyone can get through it, it's her. And you know, when she, she did die, it kind of raises the question of if that, you know, if that was your mindset, what did she do wrong? Was she not strong enough? Was she not fighting hard enough? Did she not want to live? Um, you know, I, that's not how I see yeah. it at all. You know, she was completely unconscious the whole time and it was, you know, physical trauma and there's there's no amount of fighting, I think, or no fighting you do in that situation. And I guess sometimes with um, you know, kind of mental health issues, there's the talking about battling kind of mental health things. So um, yeah, I just want to know what you think about that and kind of, you know, if anyone ever used any of that language to you or if you, you know, your thoughts on that use of language. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I'm sorry, that must have been really difficult for you because, I, yeah, I, I sort of know what it's like in a way. But I think it was probably that my mum that would have got more of that kind of immediately afterwards. It's probably the assumption that there is some kind of like mental battle going on Again, like, I don't like the word battle. Like, it's an illness like any other, you know. Um, he didn't lose by taking his own life. You know, it's ultimately what he decided to do. It doesn't mean that, you know, he was overcome by anything. Like, yeah, I completely agree with you. I think with him as well, it's tricky because I was so young. So I, I don't know for sure, but my mum tells me that it wasn't like a clear-cut case of mental illness either. You know, he obviously wasn't okay because I don't think anyone can be okay to do something like that. But it certainly wasn't as black and white as, oh, well, he had a mental illness and then as a result, he took his own life. So it's irritating when people use language like that because it's not even always applicable. You know, just because someone's taken their own life, it doesn't mean that they were suffering from a mental illness or, you know, battling demons or anything like that. He just had his own struggles and he didn't feel like he could keep going. And I mean, yeah, I agree with you that 
it's very problematic. I don't know about you, Ma, but what I have found is, yes, it's very difficult sometimes. And there are days where you don't want to go outside. I think, you know, for me, I've definitely found that I have become more sensitive to people, but that's because I've become more sensitive myself. And I find that's, you know, slightly therapeutic sometimes. And um, I was listening to Stephen Fry's Desert Island Discs not long ago, and he, he was talking about his bipolar. And, you know, someone said, you know, would you get rid of your bipolar if you could? And he said... He quoted someone else and he said, um, don't take my demons because my angels will go too. And he was saying, it's so difficult, but it makes me who I am and I wouldn't change who I am. You know, there's flip side to everything. And it's important, I think, to kind of take these things and move forward and just acknowledge that you're growing with them as a person and, yeah, growing stronger as a person. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. And I think I don't think I would be remotely the same person that I am if, you know, he hadn't died. I just... You know, it's obviously got its negatives and its positives in that sense. But, yeah, I, in some ways I wouldn't change it. And it's probably made me a better person in some ways. How have you found kind of pursuing romantic relationships later on in life or also kind of non-romantic relationships um, after suffering bereavement? Yeah, tricky, tricky to navigate. Definitely less so friendships. That's never really been an issue. It's more when I get that close to somebody in like the romantic sense I've had relationships since then that might have worked out differently if I hadn't had that kind of attachment style and yeah it's it's just when I let myself get that close to somebody it becomes all the more scary that one day they could just be gone and obviously I'm only 24 well nearly 24 you know I've most of the relationships I've had up until this point obviously weren't going to be you know, the person that I'm going to marry. But it just hurts so much every time because it feels like, to me, that that person has died because it feels like I'm grieving them in a way. One day they're there, I'm seeing them every day, spending all this time with them, and then they're just gone and it's over. And I find that so hard because it does feel like I'm grieving them and that I've lost someone kind of in that way again, even though it's not the same. Yeah, what about you? Yeah, um... It's, it's interesting you say you know they're different experiences and they are different experiences they're, they're very different experiences but it is you know it's the same kind of outline and that there is this person that you're talking to every day and that you are very close with and the next day they're not so I think the fact that you would feel that you've lost someone you know you know after a relationship ends and I, I can understand how that would feel like it's like you know a feeling of bereavement and then that how that would then feed into that initial fear of losing someone again and it sounds you know like a pretty tough cycle I, I sympathise with you and um, I'm afraid I can't offer any kind of prescription on that. But I I found it, yeah, same thing. Um, I, you know, started seeing someone about um, it was a few months after my mum died, actually. Um, but, you know, it was, you know, still like a year and a half-ish um, after the incident. And I really struggled at the beginning of that, just being convinced that that person wasn't going to be there the next day and that anything had happened. And, and it, you know, we talked about, you know, when they don't reply, you think, you know, the worst has happened. And I do get that still. Um, but to begin with, it was much more, you know, kind of existential, you know, nothing certain, anything can happen at any point. And this person who, you know, I'm seriously started to have feelings for could, you know, not be there the next day. And that's really tough. And, you know, it does feed into that initial experience of um, grief and bereavement. So no, I, I can totally relate. 
And that, that makes so much sense with the way you lost your mum as well. Um, yeah, it's, it's so tricky to navigate. And I think part of mine as well is, and it's again like an attachment style thing, because of the way my dad died, um, you know, in a way he chose to leave me. And so I find myself subconsciously, like 90% of the time, pushing that person away at some point because I'm like, you know, how far can I push them to see if they'll stay, basically, because that person that was supposed to be my dad chose to leave me. So why would this person here that says that they love me stick around? And obviously it ends up biting me in the ass because, you know, I, it's not pleasant for somebody to be doing that to you. Yeah, it's so tricky. And yeah, something that's something I would change, <laughs> definitely. Thank you so much for coming on and, and chatting with me, Mara. I really, really appreciate it. The main takeaways that I've got from this, um, first of all, has just been around language, um, the kind of language that we feel comfortable using, the kind of language that we you know, feel uh, comfortable when others are using. And, you know, knowing what language we like doesn't come straight away. And it, I don't think it comes easily either. It's a process. And I think that's really about learning, which, again, has been another thing that I've really taken away from this. You know, when someone said to you, you know, this is going to be it for life, I think that, you know, it's a bit harsh. Um, and I, I think it's a learning process, which I think will be with you for life. Um, I don't want to say for definite, but I think, you know, I feel comfortable saying for me, I think I will be learning about this for the rest of my life. And it's going to be hard, but I think it's all about just moving forward with that and understanding that there are going to be tough days, but there's going to be good days. And learning about your coping mechanisms, you know, you're only going to learn about them by, you know, trying them out and seeing what you do like and what you don't like. So, yeah, you know, language, learning and uh, moving forward. No, absolutely. And thank you for having me. I think it's just been refreshing talking about this kind of thing to somebody because I, yeah, I rarely speak about it and it's nice to just vent I guess to somebody that understands so yeah thanks so much for having me Grief in Common is a podcast run by the Winston's Wish Youth team the topics of conversation aim to provide comfort and make a difference to other young grieving people over the age of 13 we hope to give listeners the confidence to talk about their own grief journey it's rare to be able to listen to other young people being open and honest about their grief and how they're feeling. We hope this podcast reaches young grieving people everywhere and helps them to feel less alone. From teenagers to young adults, students to professionals, we're all different, but we've all got grief in common. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out. Thank you. Thank you.